Thank you for joining us, and welcome to DC Dialogues. DC Dialogues is our open forum where we discuss current events and issues we find compelling, and then we grab some really smart people and have a thoughtful discussion, fairly uncensored. So without further ado, here's your host, Bix Hiragoyan. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. I'm, as always, I'm Bix at Decision Council, and today I'm very excited to welcome in our next newest virtual guest, Grace McCamey. Hi, thanks for having me. Of course, we're, we're glad to have you on. And um, the subject of, of today's conversation is going to be the world of politics. Now, Grace is well-versed in this world. She has been um, working in this realm since graduation from Vanderbilt University and wanted to kind of get her, her perspective on how things are, are moving and shaking in the world of government today. So first question for you, Grace, right off the bat is, something that's on on everyone's mind nowadays, especially in the current political climate. When you come across someone that vehemently disagrees with you, that doesn't share your point of view, what is the strategy to approach that conversation in a way that's actually going to be helpful in the long run? Super good and very, very important question. And I think, you know, for me, I, like you said, I, I joined politics, I joined campaigns actually right after I graduated from college. And part of what I was looking for, I was looking to work on the 2020 election cycle, obviously an incredibly important election for our country. But I was also looking to hone that exact skill, like to think about how I talk to people who don't think the same way as me, because I hadn't been pushed to do that very much. Certainly not, you know, further than beyond a screen, than behind the screen, rather, um, in growing up in, in middle school and high school and college, like I felt like I'd just been in this, in this bubble of people who often thought a lot like me, especially when it comes to politics. And I spent the past couple of years living in Iowa and then living in Arizona, both places where I met a whole lot of people that think very, very differently than, than I do. And I think the number one thing that I, did to try and get past those initial barriers because there are a lot of ways that people think especially in politics right now we know how divided it is on a partisan level where i say if you think this way how can i how can i be aligned with you how can i think the same way as you how can we at all be on the same page and the truth of the matter is there are so many commonalities in our human experience and so what i've always found you know you know politics is such a large bubble and such a large word and such a nasty word to some people at this <laughs> point but what it is is a is a set of issues that people are concerned about because it impacts their lives and their families and their towns right and we're working all collectively to make it a better place a better country make our system work better make us live up to our values um, more. And I found, I, and I always find that getting past the like initial gloss and finding issues that you both think the same way about or that both impact you in certain ways. So be it healthcare or be it climate or be it, you know, gun safety, be it, there are so many different education. There are so many different um, areas that no matter your political leaning, we've all had experiences and have been impacted by our political system in some way or another. And I think that even if you don't ultimately agree on what the final solution should be, we have a lot of shared experiences um, in terms of things that we've struggled with, things our families have gone through, things we, won't, we ourselves have gone through. And um, to me, the best way to start that conversation is to be honest and dig deep as, as fellow human beings. Now, much harder to do when you're behind a screen. And unfortunately, a lot of these conversations these days happen on Facebook or start on Facebook, ever end, or on, you know, TikTok, I guess, these days. I'm not sure. But 
But that's a problem because it's so easy to have little sound bites, small headlines, think, you know, hear one little sentence say, oh, that person is X, that person thinks this, uh, without really actually engaging them in real conversation. Um, and so for me, such an important part of, of being successful in talking to, you know, Arizona's 30% independent voters. So, so part of talking to people and getting through the noise of Democrat versus Republican and having them turn out to vote for politicians that I believed were going to serve their best interests was exactly that, was exactly, you know, making sure that we connected on certain human level issues, connected as human beings and as Americans, and, and went from there in terms of talking about why we each believe the things that we do at this moment and how we can maybe progress to, to come to some disagreements and come to some agreements and, and go from there. But finding that human connection is so important. Give us the, the complete rundown of, of where you have been and, and the campaigns that you have helped on um, over the last several months, year or so. Well, the first campaign I ever joined was my campaign to be student body president with, with Dix here going here for our high school. Truly. <laughs> we served student body presidents. That's where my real political career started now. Um, I, so I, I was interning and volunteering on Philip Bredesen's campaign when he, when he was running for Senate in my senior year of, of high school. So that's, I mean, of college in, in Nashville. So that's actually where I first got involved in campaigns. I joined Kamala Harris's presidential campaign in Iowa from you know July to, to December. I joined uh, the Biden campaign and the Mark Kelly campaign as the coordinated Arizona campaign in Arizona. I then went to Georgia for the runoff. Um, and the last thing I've been working on up until the inauguration was the, the presidential inaugural committee. So working on the national day of service that we held the, the couple of days before um, the inauguration and, and bringing together volunteers across the country to service in their community. Make no mistake about it. Grace carried that uh, student body president duo <laughs> the entire way. There is so much information out there and so much disinformation that sometimes, especially for those growing up and people that might even be in our positions, it's hard to decide what is and what isn't credible, where you should be getting your news. So what are the particular places that you generally look to to get um, your daily news, um, whether it's a local newspaper, state newspaper, a uh, particular television station? Wh where does Grace go for her news? <laughs> so I... I am a big New York Times junkie, and I will say that off the bat, I, I love New York Times, and that's what I will often go to as my first, um, as my first kind of choice. But uh, I also will read from the Wall Street Journal and Washington Post. Um, I also went in terms of a cable TV, which I don't watch much of, to be honest, because I find that a lot of it has to do more with what's the headline that will catch people's attention. And whenever I watch CNN, I watch Fox as well, right? I think MSNBC tends to, uh, uh, on, as a history goes, tends to be a little bit more uh, middle of the road, but I'm not watching, you know, One America News because that's not, that's, that's completely sensational disinformation in my opinion at this point. Um, that said, I do, where I go to see CNN, I see Fox as well because it's important to see what both headlines are saying, but that's not as much news these days, I feel. Um, of course, big headlines come across the screen, but delving into things and seeing past that headline is our lack thereof of doing exactly that, of delving into to headlines and reading past what the, the screen says is part of why we have such an issue here, right? People just see one headline, take it at its, you know, take it for what it's worth right there and, and think that and get that ingrained in their head by 
you know, whoever's on the air that day. So in terms of cable TV, I try and avoid it, but I try and see both sides and, and I've been watching a lot of MSNBC. And then, um, I, you know, I read the Financial Times, like I, in terms of, in terms of economic news, in terms of foreign policy, I try to go more for journals and, and, um, and publications that are well known to give both sides of, of the story and have um, a lot of more professionals and researchers doing that work to make sure that we're getting a, an unbiased view of things. So. Sure. And how do you encourage those around you? Because I imagine it's very easy for yourself and, and those that are living and breathing the world of politics every day to get inspired and to dig into this stuff. And even, even though it might take a little bit more effort to find the credible article, uh, article or newspaper clipping, not everyone these days goes through that process. And so we talk about, you know, the, the world of politics as being something that folks like to often shut out, especially in, in the forum of sports these days, you know, sports and entertainment are seen as an escape from what is going on. And while that might be the case for those three hours at that particular game or concert or whatever it is, is happening. The reality is everyone's going to have to face the music and, and it politics is something that you shouldn't want to get away from. It's something that you should be interested in and, and shape the future of our country. So how, how do you make that argument to those around you to encourage voters to get involved, to encourage turnout? I know like you spent a lot of time doing for, for this last election. Yeah, I, I do think that finding people in government that inspire you is really important because it's so easy. And I think, unfortunately, the media likes to make it very easy to say government stinks. Government is not working for us. Government is a whole facade. Everyone who's who's there are just players on a larger game and they're not actually working for the people. And by the way, they're all fake. That's a really easy thing for people to say. You start getting into the dangerous uh, conspiracy theory session of things. <laughs> right, which is the opposite of what we need, right? Congress is exactly. shut down today because of, because of um, threats of, of terrorism on the Capitol today. So we, we do not want to get to that point. But I do think that for me, I got into politics uh, watching Kamala Harris and working for a presidential campaign. And I'd watch her come up in San Francisco and she'd been my senator and my attorney general. And she inspires me so much. And I've, I've gotten to know her personally because of the work that I did for her campaign, obviously. But even before that, listening to her speak, hearing what she's done, hearing her rationale for why she's pursued X, Y, or Z policy. Yours might not be Kamala Harris, but yours might be someone else who is in your state government, in your local government, your town council, um, or a president, or a senator, or a congressperson. There's so many people that I think creating that personal connection, even if you never know them, but trying to look at what they're doing and follow their story and hear their story, not just as a politician, but as a human being, an American coming in and how they've, um, how they've come to serve is really, really important because they're, they're humans. They're human beings just like we are. And I think finding that humanity in people, and it doesn't take much, right? People, there are, there are prominent politicians on both sides of the aisle that are in the news every single day, that are in every newspaper, on cable TV, doing interviews. And so listening for those and thinking, if you hear someone that you like, digging into them a little bit more. I really liked hearing that speech that X made. Let me go see about their story. Who who are they? Who are they representing? What are they doing? So I do think that kind of the best you can, it doesn't take much effort, but to humanize politics for yourself a bit mm -hmm. is, is helpful in giving, in giving a little bit more um, 
excitement to the to the issue and, and humanization. But um, beyond that, I do. There are so many. Right. Like you can subscribe to Political Playbook, which gives you a, a quick brief update of, of everything happening in federal government in the mornings, just like Morning Brew or the Skim or or at, but basically every newspaper has those those few updates. And I'm sure a lot of people for whichever career they're in, whichever industry they're in, subscribe to, to little blurbs in the morning that come in your inbox before you wake up um, in whatever sector you're in. And I think that it's, even if you're not working in the political sphere, I think it's our duty as citizens to know what's happening, know what we're voting on um, on a regular basis. Of course, not every day. Of course, you're not going to be tuned into what's happening every single moment on, on the floor of, of the Senate. But I do think it's important that major events are happening. We're all aware of what's going on and that we're tuned in because we're citizens and, and this is our government. It's not some other separate industry. It's not some other separate people. It's our government and we are the ones that are creating it and, and these these leaders are working for us. So, I'd love to know a little bit about your experience working for now Vice President Kamala Harris's campaign um, when this election got started uh, a couple of years ago now, really. Yeah. And how did your personal journey teach you to um, desensationalize a lot of this stuff? Like, like you mentioned, in terms of whether it's a specific person, if it's your political idol and, and bringing them back to earth a little bit, or when, when you're watching the news um, occasionally, and unless you don't watch a lot of cable news, how do you take what you're, what you're watching with a grain of salt and continue to, to move down that path to a deeper level of understanding. Yeah, so I think um, so. I, I worked for Kamala Harris's campaign in in Iowa, and as I'm sure many of you know, Iowa is home to the Iowa Caucus, which is this legendary caucus every four years that is essentially you know ha you have all the presidential candidates coming and knocking on folks' doors and saying, "Please con ca caucus for me," and it's it's a crazy experience because you'll talk to people who are saying, well, I do like Kamala. I, I would think about coxing for her, but I haven't met her yet. And you're like, well, she was in town a couple of weeks ago. And they're like, well, I couldn't go because I had something else. So I still haven't met her. So I don't, I don't think I'll be coxing for her. So it's really a down-home political arena for, for politicians. And I think what that does to those presidential candidates, every single one, Kamala and others, is it challenges them to sit down with people. So some of my, my best volunteers um, in Ames, Iowa, where I was working for Kamala, um, they did so much door knocking for, for her. They would go out on campus and start and talk to college kids about her. They would sit in the local coffee shop and talk to people, trying to convince people to join them in, in supporting her. And when she came to town, she came over to their house. They have three young kids, came over to their house and cooked dinner with them and had dinner with them and talked to the parents, sure, about lots of policy issues, but also talk to the kids. How do you feel? Do you feel safe at school? Like, do you, did they have just a regular conversation where these kids were learning so much about what politics means from Kamala sitting at their, at their dinner table? So I do think that that helps, helped me kind of bring it down to earth and recognizing that, you know, when we're talking about any political issue, we're talking about healthcare, we're talking about people's families, who, members who are dying. We're talking about COVID relief not coming to the floor because, X, Y, or Z politician in society, it's not politically advantageous. So I do think that in terms of kind of desensationalizing and, and bringing things a little bit more back down to earth when thinking about politics and in my own experience, it's about 
seeing and meeting families who, whether or not they've met the presidential candidates, who understand and have seen policy impact their their lives on a daily basis, and who are thinking about the candidates that they're, they're looking to elect and the candidates they'll be voting for on what have they done to help impact my life? Because they're working for us, right? They, they're working for us. And so thinking about those issues and breaking down politics is not a, a political game, but as a, what are we doing to progress people's lives, families, economy, and jobs? So I, I do think that, um, I do think that breaking it down to, to families and, and meeting people who have been so impacted by certain issues, certain decisions, um, is the most impactful way to kind of bring it back down to earth and recognize that, Someone like Kamala is absolutely a hero and absolutely has done so much to, to impact our communities. And yet she's learning every day from those kids sitting at that dinner table and vice versa about what matters and what's important for our communities right now. How do you think we can capture that enthusiasm, that excitement when it's not a race that's going to come down to the wire, that's going to flip the Senate, that's going to flip the head, you know, they're people do get excited about these big moments, but at the end of the day, like you said, in local elections, it it might not be a a huge deal um, when you look at it at first, but there are a lot of interesting things happening at the local level and, and even nationally that maybe don't get as much coverage. So how do you make every election and every opportunity to vote feel like it did in Georgia for the most recent Senate runoff? Absolutely. And that is such a hard thing to do. If you have the answer, like, let me know. Um, it's, a, it's a difficult strategy. You know, it's a difficult thing to, to strategize on because here's the thing, like you said, every election we're talking about has massive impacts on my life. If, if it's my local election, it's going to have sizable impacts on my life. And, and yet it's not as sexy to hear about the local town council race, right? Like it's just, it doesn't hold the same level of this is do or die. But it is for some families and it is for some, you know, for some careers and some industries. And, and so I do think it's a lot about messaging around, you know, it's a lot about the communication strategy around the campaign, quite frankly, because it is about what do we care about? What do we as a community care about? And what are we trying to stay, hold, how are we trying to hold close to those values? Mm-hmm. Um, which I think is, is part of it. But here's the thing. And, and uh, you know, I'm saying this to everyone I talked to recently because I think a lot of people say, and this is coming from my perspective, some people may feel, feel differently. But um, if you're on the other side of the political spectrum, maybe you feel differently. But here's my, my thought process, which is that there was an insurrection attempt, right, on, on January 6th. And we had already had the election. The election had been decided. The, the sitting president didn't want to accept the election results. He almost didn't. He finally did. We had somewhat of a peaceful transfer of power. We had an inauguration where the current president showed up. There were a whole slew of things that happened and that are continuing to happen. Like I said, Congress is out of, out of session today because QAnon believers say that this is going to be the inauguration day for Trump. Um, and so there are potential riots and, and violence at the Capitol. We're not at all out of the woods in terms of uh, of our democracy really being stable and strong. So I hope that every person who has a chance to vote in 2021 for their local election, has a chance to vote in 2022, understands that what they're voting for or not voting for if they choose not to vote is the sustainability and, and the continuation of our democracy and our democratic system. Small d democratic. I mean, our democratic principles uh, you know, you know, decided and, and organized by our founding fathers, 
we're not out of the woods on that at all. Mm -hmm. I read a book recently that I definitely recommend called How Democracies Die. And How Democracies Die details what's happened in some other countries um, in terms of anti-democratic leaders coming to power and how gatekeepers in society kind of let it go because they didn't think it was that big a deal and people didn't engage in elections and people got bored of politics. And before you knew it, anti-democratic leaders had come up and come to power. And then it details how in the United States, those threats have happened over time. And yet every time gatekeepers and the United States citizens have decided to engage and decide to stop that person and vote against them. And, and that is in our society and our dem democracy right now, a lot of where we're at, we are still certainly not out of the woods in terms of our democracy um, being in peril. And so I, I do think that for folks that are thinking we're, you know, we're past the big election, it's not that interesting anymore. Think about what's still on the line here, because there's a lot in every vote, be it local election, state election, or, or federal election in the next uh, couple of years will contribute to, do we believe this about our democracy and our society, or do we believe this? Do we value it, or do we not really care? Um, so that's that's what I would say. Not to, to be dark. That's not exciting, and not a you know not a happy way to stay engaged. But it is uh, the reality at this point. So. Oh, definitely. And and thank you for the recommendation. We'll have to add to our illustrious uh, book collection. Please do. It, it doesn't, it doesn't, you know, it's not very exciting to look at how democracies die. It's kind of a dark title, but it's, it's a really, really good book that I definitely recommend. All the better. And finally, let's pretend that we have Vice President Harris's ear here listening into us. What What's one thing that you would want to tell her, impart on her, um, if it's words of encouragement as, you know, she is already in, but, but is getting ready to take on these next four years? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, I am, I am so proud to have worked for her. I am so proud of the line that she's towed as a, as a woman of color, as a black woman, as an Asian American woman, um, coming up from Oakland and coming into the roles and holding her ground, right? She has been criticized on both sides. She's been criticized for being too moderate. She's been criticized for being too liberal. She's had things thrown at her everywhere she turns and she has stood by her values. She's worked for the people. And I am so proud to have worked for her. She's inspired me. And she is the, the thing I tell her, quite frankly, the thing I told her the first time I ever met her a couple of years ago was I want to work for your campaign. That's all I want to do. I want to move to Iowa and work for your campaign. And she was like, okay, that's great. Thank you so much. You can move there. Yeah. And all these, a couple of years later, what I would say, uh, if I saw her today is I'm so proud of her. I would work for her in a second. And, and thank you for continuing to be a voice, especially for women in this country, um, breaking barriers because there are so many more glass ceilings for women to break in politics and across this country and in every sector. And I am so proud to be connected to and, and to look up to one who's, who's done so much already. So proud. Well, hopefully the next generation will be looking up to you, but thank you so much, Grace, for, for joining us today and giving us some great perspective and having an awesome conversation. And thank you to the audience for tuning in as well. If you have any questions at all, feel free to reach out to us at Decision Council. Otherwise, we will see you next week. Thanks so much, everyone.